Yo, I'm Sarah, and you're listening to The Hype Train, an Infinity Train podcast miniseries. It's going to be about four episodes long, and we are going to analyze in this first episode character theories. In the second episode, we're going to analyze story theories. And in the third episode, we're going to analyze theories on whether or not we're getting a second season. In the fourth episode, which will come out after Infinity Train has finished airing all its episodes, we will look over the whole series and analyze it and compare it to the theories made on this podcast. In episode three, I also plan to talk about whether or not we're going to get the Infinity Train soundtrack released. Hint, hint, we're going to get the Infinity Train soundtrack the same way we got the series, by pestering Cartoon Network and telling them we really, really want it. Owen Dennis said on his Twitter that he's trying to convince Cartoon Network that it's a good idea to release the soundtrack. So, let Cartoon Network know you really want the soundtrack, preferably on vinyl. Alright, I will try to give credit where credit is due in this series. If I know of information I'm giving coming from a certain source, I will try to give I will give you that source. But after three years of waiting for Infinity Train, so many people have made theories and had ideas and posted things about it, I may forget where I saw something and who said it first on what social media. So if I don't give proper credit to someone for coming up with an idea first, it's not intentional and I am not trying to do anything wrong. Like, I'm not trying to claim other people's ideas as my own. But if you know of something I said, having source in somebody else's information, and I didn't credit that person, please go into the comments and give that person credit. Um, Not because I'm trying not to do my job and give credit where credit is due, but just because... I may forget things, and I may not know where to find them after having been two years since, I see, since I've seen someone make a post, you know? I hope this is coming across the way I want. I'm not trying to not give people proper credit. I just, if I don't know who to give credit to or I forget, please be gracious with me and help me out and give that person credit in the comments. That's all I'm saying. All right. You're hearing a long pause because I was taking a moment to remember if I did the episode breakdown and I just remembered that I did. Okay, so we already know that this first episode is going to be about character-related theories, and I'm going to jump right into it. I'm going to focus on one, two, three, four. I'm going to focus on four character theories and then one rant about how well-written Tulip is and how much I love good character writing like Tulip. All right, starting off with with um, a fan favorite... One one, and my theory about who is one one's mom. So I'm focusing on this theory because in the first episode, one one said, "Are you my mom?" Not once, but twice to Tulip, and the second time, it's while Tulip was running for her life in a panic. It's got to be something you are really serious about if you're asking someone who's running for their life the same question you've already asked just because you forgot their answer. Now, I know some people are probably thinking, well, One One's a comic relief character. He's silly, he's funny, you gotta take what he says as a joke. But I'd like to point out what Owen Dennis said at the San Diego Comic Con panel. He said, One One isn't stupid, he's naive. 
And he chose Jeremy to do the voice of Glad One. Specifically, he said Glad One isn't stupid. He's naive. And he chose Jeremy to be the voice actor because Jeremy added thoughtful pauses. So that, as I understood what Owen Dennis said, he was saying, One One has thought and intention behind what he says. Glad One, specifically, excuse me, has thought and intention behind what he says. He's just naive. So it comes across as silly. All of this points me to think that one one asking oh let me back up a little bit so we know that one one isn't stupid he's naive and that he says things for a reason so that's reason number one why i think we can't dismiss his are you my mom question reason number two i think when tulip found one one he was in the process of looking for his mom not just because she not just because he asked her But because of how we find him pretending to be the head of a snowman next to two other snowmen who, if I remember correctly, one was dressed kind of in like a woman's hat and the other in a man's hat. So one one probably in his naiveness was thinking, well, they're round and white. I'm round and white. Those might be my parents. Let me climb up on top of this snowman and pretend to be one. I think... We saw one one there for that very reason. He was pretending to be a snowman because he was trying to see if the snowmen were his parents. I think one one was genuinely and intentionally looking for his mom. My other reason for thinking this, yes, we we need to take what what Glad One says seriously, not just as a joke. Yes, he was on the snowman, which I think was him thinking the snowman was his parents, but both halves of his personality reinforced this idea that he's looking for his mom. Even Sad One. Sad One makes the comment about his mom maybe being round and soft like a bagel mom. It sounds silly, but that proves that even Sad One has this concept of his mom on his mind. Why do I point all this out? Oh, one more thing to point out. I'm new to podcasts. Bear with me. So I've gotten three points already. My fourth point is that Tulip is the person who has the most to learn from the Infinity Train. So it stands to reason that if Tulip's main emotional struggle right now is her relationship with her parents, as we see in the pilot, not in the pilot, in the first episode as she's arguing with her mom about the divorce, if Tulip struggles with her relationship with her parents, the first person she meets on the train is someone who is looking for his parents. And that's probably going to come into play later on in the series as Tulip faces and deals with her own emotional struggles and two and one one continues to look for his mom now why do I point out that we shouldn't just treat it like it's something silly glad one said and that we should genuinely believe that one one is looking for his mom and it's significant I point this out because my theory is that the steward has something to do with one one's mom It could be a variety of things, but I think she either is his mom, had something to do with the process of making 1-1, or was there when 1-1 was made and he imprinted on her and thinks she's his mom. Why do I say this specifically about the steward? Because if we go back to the pilot, we notice 1-1 is the only character the steward won't attack. In fact, she leaves the train car at the side of him. 
Now, some people have theorized that that means, and this is one of those things, I don't remember who they are who made these theories, but some people have theorized that maybe 1-1 is the villain. Maybe the steward is afraid of 1-1. But we do know that even if that's the case, even if that's what we see in the pilot, Owen Dennis said he had to change some things from the pilot to the main series. So even if the steward was supposed to be afraid of 1-1, she might not be afraid of him in the main series. In fact, she could still keep that connection with him, but have it be changed. Maybe the steward doesn't attack 1-1 because she knows that's like a child to her. And maybe that's who his mom is. Anyways, that's my theory about 1-1 and the steward. Oh, also, if you pay attention to one of the trailers, I think it's the trailer with the Crazy Train song, where you see the steward messing with all those panels in the train car, you'll notice she pulls out a ball about the size of 1-1 from the panel, and the ball is green and matches the background of the greenery behind it in the train car. Where did we find 1-1? A black and white ball about that size. In a black and white train car. I don't know, maybe the steward has something to do with all of these little balls in the train and 1-1 is the same kind of ball that she pulled out of the train car. Seriously, go into the crazy train um, trailer and get to the part where they're in Corginia and you see all the glitchy panels around the car that the steward is fixing on and just pause and freeze until you find the panel that's just the steward, and she's holding that little green ball. It's about the size of 1-1. The steward has some connection to these little balls, and 1-1 is the same size as the ball she's holding and matches the colors of the train car he's found in. Are they balls that match the... that camouflage into the train, and 1-1 maybe got his own artificial intelligence and left his train car when he wasn't supposed to? I don't know. But I think, I think we see enough evidence in the pilot and her reaction to 1-1 and her messing with these balls in the trailers that she might have a connection to 1-1. And we see evidence in the interviews and in the show itself that we shouldn't take 1-1's asking about his mother like it's something to be ignored. I think that's very meaningful and purposeful. So yeah, my first theory, the steward is possibly 1-1's mother or connected to his mom in some way. My next theory is about the steward, and it's a bit more straightforward, and I'm pretty sure someone else has said this before as well, but once again, it's been three years of waiting for this series. I don't remember who posted what on social media. I don't think the steward is hostile. I don't think the steward is going to be the main enemy here, even though she appeared to be the main enemy in the pilot. And here's why. Both in the pilot and in the parts of the trailer that, sh that recreate the pilot and show the steward in Corginia, we see the steward trying to repair the train car. We also see that the only person the steward fires on, even though the steward has perfect opportunity to fire on other people, the only person the steward fires on is Atticus, a permanent resident of the train car who probably isn't meant to see, and this is where... She only fires on Atticus, a permanent resident of the train car. That is fact that we see in the trailers and in the pilot. My theory is that she fires on him alone because he's a permanent resident and he probably isn't supposed to see his train car falling apart 
because he might realize that his world isn't real. I think that's why she fires on him, to get him away from the situation, or to make sure he doesn't tell anybody else. But she doesn't fire on Tulip, who's a passenger of the train car. She only pins Tulip down and orders her to return to her seat. That doesn't seem hostile. In fact, considering that this person, that this robot is named the steward, a steward's job on a train cart car is to make sure people stay in their seat. It's at least one of their jobs. Um, people pointed that out on social media as well two or three years ago. Once again, so many people posting so many things, that's something I don't know who originally pointed it out. But it is just a fact, regardless of who pointed it out on the internet. Stewards make sure that train car passengers stay in their seats. So that's not hostile, to try to make sure your passenger returns to their seat. And the steward obviously doesn't attack 1-1. So, all of this leads me to believe the steward's just doing her job. And if she's just doing her job, then she can't be the enemy. She's not intentionally trying to hurt someone, she's just trying to do her job. So who really is the enemy? And that leads me into character theory number three. The talking cat. First of all, my theory is not that the talking cat is the enemy, even though that's a part of my theory. My theory is that this talking cat might actually be the conductor Tulip is looking for. My main... Oh, excuse me. Burp. My main reason for thinking this is just how the talking cat is dressed for the brief period of time we get to see, see her or him in the trailer. And the talking cat is wearing a tie, a vest, and a white shirt. You don't get to see all of the white shirt, but it reminds me very much of kind of the imagery you would get in mind if you thought of an old-timey train and somebody working on that train maybe punching tickets. Now, I don't know what an old-timey train conductor would look like, but the fact that this cat is on the train and looks like someone who might work on an old-timey train may just be coincidence. But I don't think so when we, when we pair it with this other bit of evidence. Remember how I said episode 2 of this podcast is going to talk about theories of, of individual episodes? Because you can go ahead in the um, internet, t- or not internet, in the cable TV guides and see a synopsis of every episode of Infinity Train? The episode that introduces the cat says that the cat makes a deal with Tulip, or Tulip makes a deal with the cat more specifically. And we heard the cat in the first official trailer say, Do you want to get off this train? And the cat seemed very ominous when saying that. Um, I think if this cat has the ability to make a deal with Tulip to help her get off the train, then this cat has a bit more power on this train and authority on this train than even Atticus in 1-1. So to me... That says this cat might be someone significant. And considering it's dressed like an old-timey train employee, it's possible this cat could be the conductor. But this cat was very ominous. And keep in mind, the people who are one of Tulip's closest friends is a talking dog. The exact opposite of a talking cat. And I'm not saying dogs are good and cats are evil, but I'm saying in storytelling, you kind of have opposites in parallelism to help tell your story and convey your ideas. So in this particular story, we already know that the dogs are the good guys trying to help. Maybe the cat is opposite and the cat is the bad guy? That's why it's so ominous? 
I don't know. I'm not trying to say dogs are good and cats are evil. They're just animals. They're all, they're all good. Um, but I, that's my second theory, or my third theory, excuse me. This cat is possibly the conductor and possibly our main villain. I'm looking at my notes thinking about my next character theory. My fourth character theory revolves around Michaela, Tulip's best friend. We see... My mouth doesn't want to talk words today. We see Michaela for a very short period of time. She's talking with Tulip the way you would expect best friends in middle school to talk. And she makes the comment to Tulip, I can't believe you're leaving me in my time of crisis. Which, honestly, at first glance, just appears to be good conversation. Like, like a good way to write a conversation between two people who already knew each other, and we're jumping in on the middle of the conversation. Michaela's referencing something from earlier that she and Tulip were, would know about already, therefore she doesn't need to give all the details to us. Okay, seems fine. But it just seems like an odd thing to put out there that one of your characters in the first minute of the series has a time of crisis and we're just gonna and her best friend's just gonna glance over it and continue talking about camp. I do think that's in keeping with Tulip's personality as I think as we saw in the pilot and Tulip talked about being a selfish person and not wanting to admit that um, when she said oh I'm more of a selfish person ooh not the word I want to use I think sometimes that's a part of her personality that Tulip can be a bit selfish so maybe she glanced over Michaela's time of crisis because of her excitement for camp but I just find it odd that Tulip's best friend would have a time of crisis and it would just get skipped over like that if I know if my best friend tells me I'm having a crisis I'm not just gonna be like sorry I'm going to camp So, either it was just kind of small talk joking and she was exaggerating, maybe it wasn't really a time of crisis, maybe she was exaggerating, but I think because Michaela followed that up a few minutes later with peppering Tulip with questions about about Tulip's parents' divorce, I think Michaela might actually have a time of crisis that may or may not come up later in the series. Um, One of the episode synopsis that we'll talk about in episode two of this podcast says that Tulip has to face her past. Now, this most likely refers to dealing with her pain and struggle over her parents' divorce. But it could also deal with how she treated Michaela. Or with how, or something Michaela told her. Because Michaela has a time of crisis and and is asking Tulip a lot of uncomfortable questions about Tulip's family and the situation they're in. Maybe Michaela's parents are going through a divorce as well, and Michaela just wants to get information that will help her feel comfortable and know what to expect. Or maybe Michaela's parents aren't getting a divorce, but Michaela just fears it because they're fighting. Because sometimes that happens. Parents have an argument, and kids don't realize it's just an argument, and they get afraid that their parents are having a divorce. I I don't know. But maybe that's not it at all. Maybe Michaela's having drama with kids at school. I don't know. But... We do know that Tulip will at some point have to face her past, and her best friend is having a time of crisis. Now most likely, like I said already, Tulip facing her past will be about her and her relationship with her parents. That seems to be, as Owen Dennis put it the emotional, in, in one of his Twitter posts, the emotional core of the show. But, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Michaela came back later. 
and Tulip had to deal with maybe some of how she treated her best friend. I don't know. That one... That one is a theory that I don't expect to happen. The theory that Michaela will come back later in the series and we'll learn about her time of crisis. But it could be. It's out there. So my last point for this episode is not so much a character theory. And before I get to the last point, I'm going to recap all my theories so far just to make sure I've been clear in what I said. But my last point is not so much a character theory as it is just a rant about how well-written Tulip is. Oh, googly moogly, I love how well-written Tulip is. But before we do that, quick, quick synopsis of this episode. My theory is that the steward is somehow, is either One One's mom or somehow related to One One's mom. My other theory is that the steward is not going to be our main enemy because I don't believe the steward to be hostile. I think the cat, is the talking cat, is possibly the conductor and possibly the main villain. And, less likely but possibly, we will see Michaela return in later episodes and we might learn about her time of crisis and how that connects to Tulip and her story. Those are my four character theories so far. Now, Tulip. So well written and the point I want to focus on, um, two points really. Tulip is not a stereotyped character. She's not a stereotypical girly girl, but she's also not a stereotypical anti-girly girl. She's not a one-dimensional character who just is anti-girly and more tomboyish just for the sake of being anti-girly and more tomboyish. Don't get me wrong, I think we need to represent a wide variety of characters and I think always representing your female characters as traditionally girly is harmful to girls who aren't traditionally girly and there's nothing wrong with that. But having a shallow, flat character who is an anti-girly girl just for the sake of not being traditionally girly is boring and poor writing and just as bad as the fault it's trying to correct. But having a character like Tulip, who is a well-written, who is a well-written person, and feels like a real person, she's not flat and one-dimensional. She has interests, she has hobbies, she has pain, she has things that make her happy. She has, she has actually some girly things in her room. When I look at her room as a whole, I saw a couple of things in there that I interpreted as girly decorations. But she's also likes computers and programming. She's not afraid of spiders. Like, she has all. She can be selfish at times. She learns to be selfless at times. She has. She's smart and has has her wits to help her through her problems. I think she just feels like a well written character that is fully developed and feels like a real person. And I love that in a story. I love when I can see the characters and be like, I feel like this could be a real human being somewhere. It's great. Another thing I love about Tulip's character is that she feels developmentally appropriate for the age she is supposed to be. What I mean by that, having a background in education, having formerly been a teacher for two years and now being a teacher's assistant, and having done babysitting and church nursery work since I was like 12, 12, 13 years old, it drives me crazy when I watch a series and a child is portrayed as either acting too young for their age or acting too mature for their age. Now, kids can act immature and more mature than their typical peers of their age. That's normal. I mean, not normal. That happens in the real world. But 
everybody around, if a child, like say a child is 10, and they're acting really immature for their age, and none of the other kids in their class want to be around them because they're just throwing temper tantrums like a, like a toddler and they're not acting their age. That happens sometimes, but it's not normal, and people don't just accept that this 10-year-old who's throwing a fit like a, t- like a toddler in their terrible twos is a normal thing. Like People acknowledge that, hey, this child isn't acting their age. And it bothers me when I see TV shows portray these characters and they infantilize them. They, like, take these kids and, like, well, they're a kid, so they have to be childish. And they portray them as acting like a toddler or a five-year-old when the kid's, like, 13. Um, one, one thing, I've seen a TV series, and I won't point it out because I just don't want to be attacking of the TV series, but it had a five-year-old come on to the series and say, I'm this many, and held up five fingers. And I watched that series for, like, two episodes because I couldn't get through it. But when I saw that on screen, I was like, no five-year-old will say I'm this many. A five-year-old is developmentally and socially capable of telling you, I'm five years old. They'll even tell you, I'm five and a half. They can tell you when their birthday is. They can tell you what they did for their birthday last year. The only kids who are going to be telling you, I'm this many, are two to three-year-olds. Some four-year-olds. But most four-year-olds should at least have developed the social confidence to tell you, I'm four. And so I see that in TV series where a child is portrayed as too young for their actual age. Even if it's only off by a couple of years. And I'm like, no, that's not a realistic depiction of a child. And then they want to make children seem smart. And so they take a child who's like 10 years old, who's really smart... But they portray him or her as having all the skills and experience of an adult. And that's not realistic either. And what I love about Tulip is she feels like an actual 12-year-old. I watch this series and yes, she is smart, she is gifted. But she acts the way you would expect a 12-year-old to act. Even for a smart and gifted 12-year-old in the pilot. Yes, she's being very analytical in the opening scene about that glowing number on her hand and trying to figure out what it is. But it frustrates her and she gets upset and she starts calling it dumb. And she stops being analytical to just complain about it. It's dumb. It's just sitting there being a dumb number getting every minute, getting dumber every minute because it's dumb. Like that's something I would expect to hear from a 12-year-old who's frustrated, even a gifted one. And then she does things like thinks she's gonna walk herself all the 300 miles to Wisconsin when she decides to run away from home and get to camp because she just doesn't have the life experience to grasp what it really takes to walk 300 miles and she saw the back of the brochure that said a quick hop and she thought it was gonna be a quick hop until she started walking and realized it wasn't a quick hop like that's that's something I would expect a 12 year old who's frustrated and wants to run away from home to do is misjudge how much work it's going to be to get as far as they want to go. And so I feel like Tulip accurately portrays a 12-year-old, even a gifted 12-year-old, and I know I just sound redundant because I'm saying it over and over again, but I love series that can portray children well and doesn't dumb them down and doesn't misrepresent them. I love that Owen Dennis was able to do that. And how well he can do that with all of his characters is 
portray their personalities and be consistent with their personalities and make them feel like real people and it's just mm, such good writing and I love it okay so this is the first episode this has been my theories and my rants um join me again for episode two I'll be posting it tomorrow and episode three I will try to my plan is to post episode two tomorrow which will be July 30th and episode three on July 31st and then episode four sometime after the full series releases thank you for listening to this podcast stay hyped Thank you.